CISL Vancouver is Sportsnet 650, the official home of the Canucks. Listen live at sportsnet.ca slash 650 through the Sportsnet app or the Radio Player Canada app. It's time to think bigger. Elias Pedersen scores! And think bolder. Matthew Kachuk, what a goal! This is Rintoul and Sermon. Another chance, great save by Markstrom. There is shot, rebound, great save by Tim Cole. On the Sportsnet Radio Network. What's going on? How's your Friday? Hope you're off to a great start. We're going to get you through. We're going to make your day better. That's what we're here to do. And maybe you're in that, let's get it, it's Friday, last day of the week, I've got the weekend off approach. Maybe you're in a, that's Friday, I'm going to mail it in. Either way, we're going to get you through your day, and we want you involved. 960, 960, 650, 650. If we're in the latter of those mindsets, Jamie, we're certainly not going to admit it here on air today. We're getting after it. Oh, I was going to say, I might be in, like, where the Venn diagram touches on those two <laughs> on those two groups. If it's possible to be right in the middle of that, that's maybe where I'm in. We don't want you right in the middle of anything with your opinion today. Hit us up, 960-960-650-650. Lots to talk about as training camps continue. There is some type of update on the Jack Eichel front from an NHL insider of prominence. We will get you that information this segment, and we will want you involved Jamie, we ought to start with the bag skate, the big debate. Oliver Ekman Larson, he was behind in his group <laughs> yesterday. The video has been viewed all over the place. Is this a big deal or nothing to see here? It's it's much, much closer to nothing to see here than a big deal, right? It's one drill on day one of training camp, right? So you you got to keep it in perspective. Now, can you say... Look, it would be ideal if he came in in absolute peak physical fitness and he was leading his group in the bag skate and he was just flying through it. Yeah, of course, that would be ideal. But you can't draw any major conclusions about OEL, where he is physically, what he's going to do this season. You can't do any of that based on one performance in the bag skate. So, all right, would have been better if he was, you know, leading the pack, but move on. It's fine. Most people know what I'm talking about. For those who don't, here's the context of the situation. Every year, Travis Green has this fitness testing component to the first day of practice. And what it is is essentially a bag skate. It's four by four and a half lengths. you got to do them in 40 seconds. And generally, players who are new to the organization struggle. And that's what happened yesterday in Vancouver. Now, there's somebody who struggled who's been with the organization ever since his draft, and it's not the first time he's done it. And maybe you should read a little more into that one if you're going to criticize. That would be Ole Ulevi. But as for Oliver ekman Larson, let's give it a little context here. And again, maybe it's something you note, but it shouldn't be overreacted to. And I've heard takes all over the place. Are you kidding me? Saddled with this guy for the next six years, and this is the type of shape he's in. What is Travis Green doing? This is archaic. Why does he even go through this? It's one of those rites of passage. And those who've been through it before in Vancouver, and this isn't the only place that some type of fitness testing happens. John Tortorella, while he's not coaching right now in the NHL, Jamie, he was famous for having different styles of fitness testing. One of the things that Torts did was a two-mile run in all of the places that he was at. It wasn't just skating. It was yep. some dry land. And Torts had this two-mile run, which some NHL players were great at and others 
they're not much for running. And so some did great, some didn't do so great. It didn't correlate to the type of seasons in some cases that those players were going to have. Yeah, what we really need to do here, Scotty, is go back and through the years of Canucks training camp and find out who struggled in the bag skate and then go on to see what kind of year they had after that. We need to get some like objective data into this conversation to see if it actually correlates and actually you know predicts what you're going to do that season. If you want to file it away and say, if Oliver Ekman Larson has a bad year and conditioning is a problem, this is something I'm going to reference back to. Okay, so be it but it doesn't necessarily correlate. People always point to the Sedins, and this is a good place to go on it. The Sedins were at the top of fitness testing a lot of their years. Not when they began their NHL careers, Jamie, but as they got older, as they got wiser, as they became fitness freaks, if you will, they were always leading the pack. And so people go, wow, look at the Sedins and look at them. Yes, on the other side of it is a guy like Jay Beagle, who also was at the top of fitness testing in Washington, in Vancouver. That didn't mean Jay Beagle was the best player on the team or anywhere near it. No. So, and, and now the the counter argument to that that some people would say, well, you know, think of think of how poorly he would have played in Vancouver if he wasn't at the top of his fitness, and that's fair. But I think the point here is that you can't you can't look at this and say, well, that guy's in great shape and therefore he's going to dominate this year, or that guy's in really bad shape and he's going to struggle this year. And you know, one one text came in saying, if we can't draw any conclusions then shouldn't you be criticizing Travis Green for using this as a measuring stick? And I, I don't really think so. It's fair to get a snapshot picture of where people are with their fitness on day one of training camp, right? Because that sends a message to the players, okay, this is the level you got to get to and you got to get to in a hurry. That's totally fair. And lots and lots of teams do these fitness uh, test types of types of drills. So I don't have a problem with that. It's just you then can't draw the conclusion about what's going to happen in the actual season based on this one-day snapshot. Someone else texts in, you guys are trying so hard to make this a story. Quite the contrary. I'm actually bemused by the fact that this is a story. I'm bemused by it. I'm bemused by how there are takes all over the nation about this. I think it's off base in most. I don't think it contains context in most cases. And I think the stories that flushed it out did the right thing. They went and asked people who've been through it before, whether they're players on the Vancouver Canucks or guys who've been there. And maybe the most notable being Henrik Sedin, who said, look at the guys who are struggling. It's the guys who haven't done it before. Don't read too much into it. And this is a guy who was very proud of being at the top of conditioning. He said, don't read too much into it here. You can tell people about it, but until they've been through it, they don't quite understand. And here's the pickle that you get put in, because the other part of Travis Green's first day and if you want to criticize the coach and you think he works, okay, fine. That's the part of the that's part of his training camp. I'm not going to go down that road. Part of it is that the first practice is also longer. And if you're new to town, what's the first thing you want to do? Have a good first impression. The guys who've been around, the Bo Horvats, the JT Millers, they know that there are points during that lengthy first practice where you better put it on a little bit yeah. of cruise control and not give it all effort because you're going to have to do this at the end. And so those guys. They know how to play the stamina game. Well, if you show up and you're Connor Garland or you're Oliver Ekman Larson, you're somebody who's trying to make an impression, there's no chance you're cruising through any part of that first practice, and so you might not have left enough back in the tank to perform well at this particular drill. 
I love that because you can just imagine, you know, OEL battling JT Miller in a drill early in practice and getting the best of him. And JT Miller just thinking, okay, all right, that's great. That's great that you're going all out right now, but we'll see who's having more fun at the bag skate. It's a good point. And and again, to what uh, what Henrik Sedin said yesterday, yeah, guys who are in a Travis Green training camp for the first time, they don't really expect it. They don't know exactly what it's going to take to get through it. So, yes, it's a little more difficult for them. We've got a few texts coming in. Uh, from the Calgary inbox, 960-960. One of them says Tampa Bay, the Tampa Bay Lightning do some crazy fitness testing. It seems to do okay for them. And he also says Phil Kessel has played almost 900 straight games or 900 games. Uh, I'm not sure you can learn much from one bag skate. And that's an interesting point about the uh, physical condition of Phil Kessel, which I think we do underrate, but I take what the texter is saying. And then somebody else also says... It's Vancouver. Everything is a story. Yes, there's, there's, there's certainly some truth to that. Yes, there certainly is. Brian in Parksville text in the gross grind. I think it's a really good comparable, Brian. If you have not done the gross grind, a lot of people in our audience have. Many of you may not have been to Vancouver, and if so, you took pleasure in other things rather than going up Gross Mountain and the traditional ball buster, if you will, that is the gross grind. It's tough. And you can tell people about it as much as you want. Man, it's tough. And I'll tell you the one thing. By the time you get to the quarter mark, you're going to say, are we only at the quarter mark? If you have that knowledge going in, it's still a thing when you do it the first time, Jamie. I know this because I've done the gross grind multiple times. I remember my first experience. And I've taken other people on it. And they say, yeah, I want to do that. And I say, okay, be prepared. And they say the same thing every single time. That seems to be probably what happened to Oliver ekman Larson yesterday. Well, and I'm sure you've had the experience of people coming to visit you from elsewhere, right? And, you know, I grew up in North Van where the grouse grind is, so I would frequently take people on, oh, yeah, that sounds really cool. Like, let's go do it. And it's like, okay, you know, it is pretty intense. It's not a, a relaxing hike, right? And it's no. exactly what you're saying. Oh, no, it's fine. It's fine. I, I'm in really good shape. And then you get up, and there's a moment where they look up, and it looks like you're going basically directly vertical up the mountain, and there's kind of, oh, that's what you were saying. Yeah, okay, I'm going to pace myself just a little bit more when we're going up here. That was part of the story for a lot of people on day one, reading into line combinations. We'll get to all of that throughout the course of the show. You can hit us up, 650 650 960 960 I know that they flipped the groups today and there's a scrimmage for Vancouver we'll see what Calgary does in their second day of on ice sessions we talked about one of those groups being extremely veteran laden the other not so much so we'll see how camp progresses here over the next couple of days and then we get some exhibition games going as soon as this weekend Jamie there were a couple of games on last night few from the major leagues the jays man the way they started this series against the twins we'll get there but it was the thursday night football game that caught a lot of people's attention for a bunch of different reasons carolina was expected to win carolina did win it wasn't always easy in dispatching the houston texans who have proved a tougher out for most teams too much for jacksonville in fact in the opener than most people thought they were going to be the Houston Texans, they played the game pretty tough defensively. They threw a few things, but eventually Sam Darnold and the Carolina Panthers prevailed last night, despite losing a couple of big-name players to injury. Yeah, it's it's a victory, but it's an extremely costly victory for the Carolina Panthers. I mean, obviously, Christian McCaffrey going out with the hamstring, that's the big one. But their cornerback, J.C. Horn as well, 
who they're really, really high on. That's a tough blow. So you get the win, okay, and it's a comfortable victory in the end, despite, as you say, you know, Houston hanging in there, especially in the first half. But, oh, that way, you got to, if if the Carolina has any chance of sustaining this awesome 3-0 start and doing something, you know they need those guys in the lineup. Yes, they do. The story to me on the positive side of things was Sam Darnold last night. Sam Darnold. Yep. He's been pretty good. I wouldn't say he's been awesome. I don't think anybody's putting Sam Darnold in the MVP conversation. But Sam Darnold once again showed up, looked pretty good in the box score, didn't throw a touchdown pass last night. There were a couple of situations where a player probably could have gotten in, didn't quite get there. Sam Darnold ends up with a couple of running touchdowns, scores on the ground, has 304 yards passing through the air. Safe to say that early into his Carolina Panthers tenure, Jamie, people look at him a little bit differently than they looked at him in his last couple of years in New York. Yeah, and I just hope um, I hope that Adam Gase wasn't watching the broadcast last night, or if he was, that he wasn't on social media at the same time. Because there's a lot, a lot of discussion about Adam Gase, who, was, of course, was Darnold's head coach. Uh, with the New York Jets, and there's a lot of discussion about what negative effect Adam Gase might have had on his career, and I don't think it's entirely fair to put it solely on Adam Gase. I think that's part of the story, but you got to give credit to the coaching staff in Carolina, and I think you just have to recognize he's playing in a much better environment which, with much more talented players surrounding him than he had with the New York Jets. That's a huge part of the story. You could point to the competition not being the strongest necessarily so far this year. And I think it's also fair to point out, you know, he did have the two fumbles yesterday. They were both recovered by Carolina, so they don't go down as turnovers. But overall, it just, it looked like a, he looked much more confident than I think we saw him at any point with the Jets, right? And even if it wasn't perfect, and as you said, not MVP level, it looked just like a, a confident, calm NFL quarterback performance, which we didn't see much of in New York. That's one of the words to bring up here, confidence, because there's a healthy dose of vitamin C coursing through his veins right now in the form of confidence, Jamie, and that comes with success, and that comes with replicating that success. He's not a world beater by any means, but he's also, he looks like a far cry from the young man who was seeing ghosts when he was with the New York Jets, and there's a couple of throws last night if you watch that game, and he loses his best offensive weapon in Christian McCaffrey, who's been able to take some pressure off him in the first couple of games, Okay, security blanket's gone. Later on, DJ Moore, he ended up coming back in that game, but that's the receiver he's been trusting the most. He lost him for a little spell there. Sam Darnold stepped up under pressure in the pocket at times and delivered some footballs when he was getting hit that I don't think he completes in New York. Again, not a world beater, but he looks like a different guy, and it looks like they're utilizing him well, and then there's that confidence. He's got another... 14 games in the regular season to go. And hopefully for Sam Darnold, the Carolina Panthers, he stays healthy and this story continues. But it got me thinking of this, Jamie. Who could be this year's NHL version of Sam Darnold? Now, if we use too many specific parameters here, we're going to have a really small field because the guys who fit into it immediately of, okay, you're drafted pretty high, but you fell out of favor in an organization, so they moved on to something else. Like, we're going to get down to, especially if we use age range, we're going to get down to, like, Nolan, Patrick, and Cody Glass, who've had yeah. a change of scenery this offseason. Patrick's in Vegas. Cody Glass is in Nashville. Those guys fit those parameters. And maybe that's your answer out there in listener land. 960, 960, or 650, 650. Maybe you think, you know what? Nolan Patrick, now that he's healthy and he's out of that environment and less pressure than being the number two pick overall, it's going to work in Vegas. Same for Cody Glass being six overall. 
and going to Nashville. If we expand this a little bit, Jamie, I think we can have a bigger conversation for our hockey fans out there. And let's use this. Sam Darnold represents a guy that a lot of people sold stock on. Hey, I thought pretty highly of him when he was the second quarterback off the board. I watched what I watched in New York. I saw him see ghosts. I'm out. He's never going to amount to very much. And now all of a sudden, those people might have a slightly different opinion. So if we use that definition, hey, somebody that you've basically sold stock on or a lot of the hockey viewing public has sold stock on right now, but you think is in line for a bounce back or could change people's minds about what he is now, who's that player for you this season? Who's somebody that you're targeting out there? Yeah, and and another name I would bring up who kind of falls into the Cody Glass, Nolan Patrick category a little bit is Jesperi Kakaniemi, right? Because he's going to a situation where we know they value him very, very highly. We had Eric Tulski on the show shortly after that deal went through when they officially got Jesperi Kakaniemi, and he he raved about the potential he has, the, the ability he has. So you have to figure he's going to get a massive opportunity in Carolina to kind of show what he's capable of. And, you know, he's such a recent first-round pick that there's still a lot of people who are high on him. But I also think a lot of people downgraded what they thought about Kakaniemi based on his first few seasons uh, in, in uh, Montreal. We got this text in immediately to the 960-960 Calgary inbox, and we've got it many, many times since then. A lot of people in Calgary saying Sam Bennett in Florida. And I'm not surprised, right, because he was obviously a high pick there in Calgary, never really worked out exactly how they wanted to. The only reason I wouldn't put Sam Bennett in this category is because we saw how well it went for him in Florida after that trade went down last year, right? Like it was immediate instant success with the Florida Panthers. So I think that probably got a lot of people to buy back some stock that they might've sold in Sam Bennett. Yep. I agree. And when you have a little bit of evidence, like we do with Sam Darnold, it's a good comparison. And Sam Bennett made good on his first opportunity with the Florida Panthers. He gets his next one. Now full training camp, full run at the season. And the knock on Sam Bennett in Calgary, for the most part, was last lack of consistency. And it was more about playoff time than it was about regular season. Let's see what he brings for all 82, but he's off on the right foot there, and maybe it amounts to that. We've got some other ones coming in here. Josh Hosang from John in Vancouver. Now, John is a noted Leafs fan, so there's a little bit of, I hope this works out for my team. But Hosang's a really good one that a lot of people yep. are out on. And if Josh Hosang were to do something this year, and it doesn't even have to be this big something. We're talking about a guy who was very talented coming out of junior, seen as temperamental. He's had his run-ins with the Islanders organization over the years. Some people saying he'll never get it. Other people saying they're too hard on him. They need to give him an opportunity. They need to be a little more flexible with this particular player. But Hosang's a really good example of someone that is off the radar for most people, that if he popped even just a little bit, you'd start to buy in a little bit. You know, Alex Galchenyuk was kind of that guy last yes. year. And he was that guy for a really long time in the NHL. Okay, he's going to Arizona. They want to try him as a center. It's going to, oh, no, now he's on his way to Pittsburgh. Oh, now he's on his way to Minnesota. And he bounced around, and he seemed to find a little bit of something. But what we deemed a success for Alex Galchenyuk by the time he was playing with the Leafs last year was a lot different than what we viewed it early in his career. Yeah, for the Leafs with Galchenyuk, it was, can he stay in the lineup, right? Can he can he carve out a role in the lineup consistently, which he was able to do, 
But when you look at Josh Hosang this year, that's kind of the same level that would count as a success, right? Can he contribute? Can he get in the lineup? Then maybe you can start to think about, you know, living up to his draft uh, hype and the skill he obviously has. But it's a good answer because that is someone that a lot of people have sold their stock in that, okay, he's, he's in a situation, Mike, you know, maybe he could get a chance to play with some of the highly skilled players there. And you can imagine a scenario where he does some damage with the Leafs. Another name that we've had a couple times in both inbox, actually, in Calgary and in Vancouver is Sean Monaghan. And I think that's a really, really interesting one because he's coming off a very down year. And so much of the speculation this offseason was, okay, are they going to move Sean Monaghan? Is that experiment over? Is it time to move on? Do they need to get rid of him and his salary in order to facilitate bringing in you know, a better, higher-end number one center? Not that he necessarily suits up as their number one center there, but you know what I mean. He's coming off basically his least productive year since his rookie season. Some, and again, it just fits the bill of somebody that so many people are out on. If he ever finds a way to, you know, win some favor from Daryl Sutter, click in that system, he could be primed for a big bounce back here. Yeah, we're not talking about a guy that people say, oh, I'm not sure he can be in an NHL lineup, but he was once viewed as a number one center in Calgary. He's not viewed as that by many anymore. He's a number two or maybe on a really deep team, a number three center in the National Hockey League. And can that stock rise? It's a fair, fair question to ask. And he's a fair player to nominate. For something like this we saw a guy last year who's a really good example of this just north of calgary yes he is that guy in edmonton last year isn't he jesse yes he is a guy who yep. they went i don't know if this guy's ever going to get it i don't know if he's ever going to play in the nhl there was the trade demand they said we're going to wait sorry go play back in europe and we'll reassess he came back new coach fresh start and what we saw from Jesse he last year it absolutely qualifies as success, though if we view it through the lens of, hey, you were the fourth pick overall, he didn't put up the numbers we thought a fourth overall pick would put up, but people had written him off so far that what he did, absolutely he made good. Yeah, he didn't make good on, as you say, his draft day status, but he made good on where people saw him, you know, in the months leading up to the season, right? Which is basically, hey, if you get anything out of him, that's a success. He easily surpassed that bar in Edmonton. Rich. And Mike and Victoria say, OEL, a lot of people pushed his stock off, want to see if he can turn it around. And OEL falls into that category of, hey, can you reclaim what you were before? He's he's more of a turn-back-the-clock candidate, but I think it's a fair one to put into this category, however loosely. Yeah, unfortunately, I mean, it's all over because of the bag skate, right? So, you know, <laughs> it would have been an interesting question, but we saw how he did in the bag skate, so we can wrap that one up. It's done for OEL. We'll always have the bag skate. Yep, keep that yes, line tucked away somewhere. Tim McAuliffe's going to join us next. A couple days displaced, but we will always make time for Tim. And one NHL insider says, Jack Eichel, he's movable right now if. What's the if? We'll tell you next on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. You want the Michigan skate update, Jamie? I can give you that. I absolutely Brady, do, Scotty. I'm Brady desperate Kuch- for it. Yeah, Brady Kachuk now skating with Elias Pettersson and Quinn there you Hughes. Go. They're working out together as they all await their RFA deals with their respective teams. That's well, you the know Michigan skate update. What's that? You know what this means, Scotty, is we've heard, we've heard over and over already how the Hughes brothers are plotting to eventually join forces in New Jersey together, right? So Quinn can go 
play with his brother. I mean, obviously this means that the Kachucks are planning to, it's going to be the Kachucks and the Hughes brothers eventually all playing together in one city. That's, that's clearly the, the inference I'm choosing to draw from this. Well, I can tell you that probably will happen. Do you know when it'll happen? At one of the Olympics. That's when it'll happen. Possible. Yep. It's very possible that both Kachuk brothers and all three Hughes brothers are at some point on Team USA. And just for the symbolism of all of it and the spectacle of all of it, can you not see the coach of said team going, all right, to start the game, we're going to yep. have Jack Hughes between the Kachuk brothers, and we're going to have the Hughes brothers playing defense. Got to go find a goalie from one of the families, I suppose. But other than that, <laughs> you could have all five skaters out there at some point in time. I like it. I could see um, I could see Jack Hughes between Brady and Matt Kachuk being a very effective line, right? The skilled playmaking center and a couple of really hard-nosed, physical, talented wingers next to him. Yeah, that would be good. Hughes brothers on defense with Quinn and Luke. That could work as well. Sure, it could be a lot of fun. Again, I think you'll see it at some point down the road. Very easily could happen. A different Jack would like to be between some different wingers at some point here in the relatively near future. He, of course, is Jack Eichel. We spent a lot of time on this program and many other programs talking about his situation, how complicated it is. Here's what Nick Kiprios tweeted out this morning. Eichel has made it clear he's willing to go anywhere to facilitate a trade. That part alone is interesting. Here's the second part. One of the half dozen teams involved tell me a trade is doable so long as the Buffalo Sabres are willing to add, quote, conditional clauses around how he performs after surgery. Example, games played, scoring, etc. The scoring one, I imagine the Buffalo Sabres would yes. scoff at. They would scoff at, look, we can't control who you play him with. We're not going to accept lesser draft picks or prospects, whatever it happens to be, because his scoring numbers aren't great. That's the chance you'd take. Games played might be a little more interesting, though. Well, but even games played. And, and the other interesting thing is, you know, this isn't a case where you're trading a deadline rental, right? And you're you're waiting to see, okay, if you make the, the conference finals, then that second-round pick gets upgrade, upgraded to a first-round pick or something. This is a guy who's under contract for a long, long time. So what's the time frame on these conditionals? That would be my big question, right? Is it If it's this season and it's games played, well, the other team can say, you know what? He's coming back from a really serious injury. He hasn't been on the ice a long time. So, you know, we're going to do some load management with Jack Eichel. And maybe if we're not on the cusp of the playoffs down the stretch, we might rest him a little bit early. So I would have major questions about even games played a as, a, as a condition to the trade. I can understand from Buffalo's perspective why they wouldn't be too keen on that. Of course. And this goes back to, I don't know, something like the housing market, for example, Jamie. If it's a hot housing market and you have multiple offers on a property, the owner of said property can say, look, we have enough people interested here that your offer is going to have to be subject to no conditions. There's not going to be an yep. inspection. There's not going to be conditions attached to financing. No, we have enough people that are willing to do it without that. Give us your best offer right now. I don't know if the if the Buffalo market is hot enough with that, given the medical uncertainty surrounding Jack Eichel. Nick Kiprios points out in this tweet that there's a half dozen teams that are involved here that are interested. Gauging levels of interest, that's a different conversation. Right, and obviously, you know, to, to carry on your housing analogy, it, it appears the market isn't hot enough for Buffalo to be able to kind of dictate its terms yet. Otherwise, you think they probably would have made a deal by this point. Tim McAuliffe. We've got to deal with him. He comes on this program once a week. He's the host of Tim and Friends, and he joins us on this Friday as we head into a weekend. Timmy, how are you today, my friend? 
it is a pretty cheap deal for you guys. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> that's fair. That's week. fair. But that's <laughs> yeah. that's what our show is known for, in particular, cheap deals. <laughs> if you want a bargain, you come to our program. Yeah. yeah. Do you? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. We can talk about that off air. <laughs> The Jack Eichel situation, Nick Kiprios rolls another wrinkle into it here today with the news that, hey, it's doable if there are some good conditions attached to the deal. We've gone ebb and flow with this thing, felt like it was going to get done. Maybe it never gets done. I don't know where we're at right now. How do you view this complex situation here as we look toward this season or perhaps beyond it with Jack Eichel? I think the only way to rectify this is to come to some sort of conclusion on the surgery so that anyone who can uh, or would want to trade for a $10 million cap hit can understand the health of the player before they make that deal. I don't know. I talked to Renaud Lavoie yesterday of TVA, and Montreal had been in the past uh, rumored sniffing around, say, Jack Eichel, and he says, I don't know how you make that deal considering um, where they're at with his health. And I, I can't believe that the dumpster fire that is the Buffalo Sabres allowed it to get this far. And this is on them. This is on the hierarchy that has cheaped out. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sorry. There's just something in my throat there about <clears throat> paying people. But, you know, I, and so uh, I, 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 uh, I think that this is on Buffalo and the player on not being able to figure something out because both of them are going to suffer because of it. And that's the thing here. Like, I don't know how you get into a spot where neither Eichel nor the team win in this back and forth that is, uh, leaving, you know, what healthy is a very good player sitting on the sidelines um, and probably going to miss the Olympics. Like, that's another part of this is without this surgery, uh, he's going to miss the Olympics. And according to some, that was something that he really wanted to do. Um, to me, this is just, this is just uh, inept leadership uh, as both the captain and the team. I am more on the side of the player here. I completely understand the counter-argument from the organization of, look, if this is something our medical experts aren't comfortable with, we don't want to have damaged goods on our hands. The buyer of this player should assume the next risk. So I understand that. I guess the real question is, at what point do you do the right thing for the human, or can you in this situation? Does it have to be cold-calculated business by the Buffalo Sabres? I just I don't know how you as a team we're going to trade for Jack Eichel at a ten million dollar like if it was a, a non cap league, Scotty, I would agree with you. But it, there there are serious ramifications if you swing and miss on a ten million dollar player. Like that can cripple your franchise for for five years. And for me, that's why you need both sides to come together and come to some sort of conclusion. But let's be honest here, like the Buffalo Sabres need whatever comes back for Jack Eichel because they've been so terrible over the last couple of years. So, like, I get your point, but I don't know who's trading for the player in a cap system at $10 million a year if you don't know how he's going to heal from what is a significant injury. Well, and especially because, as you say, Tim, you know, he's still on the shelf with that injury. So it's not as if, you know, okay, if you get off to a bad start in October, November, and you say, oh, man, we need Jack Eichel in here. Well, you're not getting him for maybe months down the road, right? So where's the incentive for a team to pull the trigger in season here? 
Yeah, I mean, I guess you could go on to LTIR, but you're still paying a salary, and there's a lot of teams that are under a little bit of a squeeze here because of the pandemic. Like, there's so many different angles and layers to this onion. That's why I believe it's – I'm going to use the word incumbent, but that's such a douchey word to use, and I'll just say – these two teams, they, the two sides need to come together because neither is going to benefit from this back and forth. And it's it's shocking to me that it's lasted this long, which is why I said on the show yesterday, I think that we may come to a point where the NHL steps in, excuse me, or um, an independent arbitrator is is assigned to this case. It's not a good look for anyone, and you're right. The NHL has to be pretty annoyed with it because they have one of their you know, bright, young American stars not playing, potentially not going to the Olympics. As you said, that could be a big deal for Jack Eichel uh, as well. I, I want to um, ask you a little bit about the Blue Jays here, Tim, and not what they're doing on the field exactly right now because that was another ugly one last night. But what was your reaction to everything that went down between the Rays and Kevin Kiermeyer and the Blue Jays this week? I mean, I guess my uh, my Coles notes, my Wikipedia version of what I thought happened here was a player um, attempted to gain a competitive advantage by stealing something that wasn't his. And in any part of life when you do that, there are ramifications to that. And Major League Baseball doesn't have any guts and didn't step in in any way, shape, or form to adjudicate this so all that's left for baseball players to do is drill somebody in the back and i think that's what we saw and i think kevin kiermeyer knew it once he got caught i think the rays did their best to try and squash it and i think the jays felt like there was no um there was no way for them to get any sort of retribution other than put a fastball in his back and they dealt with it. And I know there's people out there that hate this and think the code is antiquated and needs to be stopped. Um, what I get to hear is what the solution to it is, especially if, especially if major league baseball who has a history of not stepping up when they need to adjudicate something, when they need to, to be the letter of the law. Um, then I don't know what the answer is. Yeah. I'm on, like, I'm not on both sides of the fence. I agree with Kiermeyer's comments that it was weak to wait as long as the Jays did. Me being a Jays fan, I still agree with him on that. Like, nah. okay, step up step up the next day and do seven, it. 7-1. Right. So you're picking your spot. But, 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 Timmy, we carve guys all the time for picking their spots and making it easy. No, but I know. But you don't, like, if you're in the middle of a playoff hunt, like the Jays are, when the hell are you going to do it? You're only going to do it when there's a blowout. And, and I, I'll... I'll back up this opinion with the fact that we sent out a tweet during the game saying, hey, with the game out of hand, the Jays do it now. And that, to me, was kind of the, the perfect time. Like, he was the leadoff batter of an inning. There was nobody on base. I mean, it just, to me, it was like, that's when you plunk a guy. And, yeah, oh, it took a while. Like, we can't get them back. Like, you're going to forget. Like, you've been in the division you play 19 games against each other. To me, that's just like I'm kind of bitter that we don't get to drill them back. That's all that was to me. To me, this sure. Is a respectful so I, disagree, Scotty. No, no, that's cool and that's fine. A lot of people are on the other side of this, and there was a lot of pushback in the inbox. Yes, so I agree with that side of Kiermaier's argument. But the other part is, okay, once the gig is up, once you've taken it, and they found out you've taken, it, and they come say, okay, 
you got it, you saw it, give it back. You got to hand it back. Like, that's the sportsmanship, decent honor, like, do the right. Okay, you caught me. We would have done the same thing. We would have taken it. But now that I'm asking for it back, you got to give me that back. Yeah, that's that's when it turns into a fight. And it's, it's the same thing. Like, this is the part that bugs me the most. It's like, in real life, if that happens and you have something taken from you and you go to the person and say, I would like that back, and they don't give it back, that's when you go to other circumstances. And I don't understand people who are like, well, why would they hit him? <laughs> like, what part of life where you are competing at, especially where you're competing at a high level with millions of dollars on the line, would you not be pissed off that someone tried to get the better of you and then when you caught them, completely denied it or said, go kick rocks? Like, it's, it's almost a challenge um, to the Toronto Blue Jays. And I think off the record, if you talk to every Jay, I would say the vast majority of them were happy that Ryan Barucki drilled them in the back. Absolutely. You saw the high fives in the dugout. Tim McAuliffe joining yeah. us here for a few more minutes on Rinto and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. Of, uh, Dodd, of course they were happy. Now, they'd be happier if they get a chance to face Tampa Bay. And as much as I thought there were parts of this that weren't great, it gives more juice to the playoffs if they're able to get there. Nine games to go. You give me your confidence level right now in the Toronto Blue Jays. The schedule, somewhat favorable. However, they're not playing great this week. The pitching has been poor for the last three or four games. Where are you at? I am probably at a 60% confidence that they will grab that second wild card. And I was probably a week ago at a 70 to 80% confidence that they were going to grab that second wild card. Here's what makes me feel over 50 right now, despite being a game behind. Despite the fact that they have lost three or four, you look at the pitching over the next three games against the Twins, and you have to give the Jays the edge in each one of those as it goes. Barrios back in Minnesota and Manoa and Ray. Um, I just think that you look at those next couple games and you think to yourself they, they match up well with what they've got left in this series, and that would give me uh, a little bit more uh, confidence um, than I would have had, say, if it were, um, you know, Ryu spot in the lineup or something along those lines, which will come Tuesday anyway, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, I totally understand what you're saying. Thursday night football, right Sam Darnold. matchups, right? Oh, yeah, you're right on the matchups. matchups. Okay. Yeah, I think you're right on them. I may be wrong as well, but at least I'll, we're in it together. I'll, I'll check my notes. I'll check <laughs> Sam Darnold last night. He looks like a different guy in Carolina. I don't think anyone's handing him the MVP, but he looks different. He looks like he has confidence. They're using him more properly. We're trying to use that and look for an example for the NHL this year. You know, An example of a Sam Darnold situation was Jesse Pogliarvi last year. People had sold stock in him. He came back and... Boy, he looks like a different guy. This is pretty good. Is there anyone that jumps out to you? It doesn't have to be a youngish player. Is there anyone that jumps out to you around the NHL that people have sold a bunch of stock in, but in two or three months you could see yourself saying, look at the guy. He looks really good in his new place. Um, there's a bunch of people in Toronto trying to sell Josh Hosang at that guy. And I, I just I don't know if I see it. And then the reason I laughed when I heard you talking about it is because that's all I, I mean, uh, the story of the Toronto Maple Leafs training camp became, oh, could Josh Hosang, a skilled guy, jump in on, and like the opportunity uh, of a lifetime is going to be handed to someone. Like they're talking about, 
Michael Bunting or Nick Ritchie going on. Whoever ends up on the wing for Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews is probably the right answer to that question. Just as Zach Hyman jumping on with Connor McDavid having gone from Marner and Matthews. Um, it's just like whoever ends up on that wing, especially when I throw out the names that have been thrown out in Toronto, like think about that. Josh Hosang, who's never been able to stick, or Michael Bunting or Nick Ritchie is going to end up on the wing with with Marner and Matthews. That, to me, uh, is the opportunity of a lifetime and someone I wish I could get in my keeper pool if I knew who was going to end up on that side. What's um, what's in the running right now for the kind of most blown out of proportion training camp story with the Toronto Maple Leafs, Tim? Because you know Scotty and I started the show talking about the, the talk. Yeah, the talk here in Vancouver is that Oliver Ekman Larson struggled with Travis Green's yeah. infamous bag skate on day one of training camp, which a lot of guys have done. Is there an equivalent kind of ridiculous story out there in Toronto? Did I, I, I saw the video of OEL trailing behind. And as a notorious trailer, like sometimes you, I mean, I guess if it's your first time with a team, uh, you probably try a little bit harder, but uh, he's a pretty well-established NHL player. Um, You know, to me, the Josh Archibald story in Edmonton is pretty like, you know, the Zach Ronaldo in, I don't know about you, what your numbers are lately. I just saw the Ontario numbers are basically 80%. Uh, vaccinated over 12. It's like the vast majority of people are vaccinated, and yet we keep giving oxygen to these uh, people who don't want to get vaccinated way out of proportion with what the story actually is. And yesterday I was hoping we could go away from those and just focus on the people who are there at camp and will travel with the team and do all the things that um, are required of them as teams. So I guess I would answer in and around that, but I think Uh, I think by the end of camp, we'll all be annoyed with about six or seven different stories emanating out of Toronto. So I completely understand Um, (laughs) OEL's story in Vancouver will pale in comparison to, uh, you know, the the newest, um, you know, the newest Toronto Maple Leaf darling uh, who will grab attention when they don't really deserve it because there's nothing else to write about. I also wanted to ask you just on the on the subject of Thursday night football last night and you know everyone's uh, raving might be too strong but everyone's impressed with what Sam Darnold has done so far in Carolina. Do you think at this point if Adam Gase wants another job in the NFL that his best strategy would be to go to teams and say, "Look, here's what you're going to do. I'm going to come in for a year. It's going to go really really poorly for the quarterback, but then I'll leave and you won't believe what that guy will look like as soon as I leave." Cuz that's kind of the narrative that's been built up around here, huh? Well, but hold on. He also had to go to a different team, like yes, the 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 and and get a different. Like it looks like Matt Rule might know what the hell he's doing, and it looks like the Jets as an organization might not know what the hell they're doing. Like the the part of that to me is Sam Darnold is three and zero, and the Jets are about to go zero and three. Like to me, in in NFL circles. Uh, drafting a quarterback is one thing. Developing a quarterback is a completely different thing. And way too many times, all NFL fans completely and utterly forget that. Like, and it's 
to me, it's almost mind-boggling how you could forget that you need to develop the quarterback and the players around him. Like, the GOAT, Tom Brady, 199th. Like, we're, we're one day after the, what, 20th anniversary when Drew Bledsoe was knocked out of that game that forced – no one was clamoring for Tom Brady to start. Um, in fact, people were mad that he was going to start and keep his job. You can't lose your your job to an injury. Like Joe Montana, third round pick. It's all like you have to develop quarterbacks. You can't just draft Peyton Manning uh, every year. Like those guys come around once in a generation. And yet, people that I know that follow football, insiders that I know that cover the game, are constantly fooled into thinking that bad organizations are somehow going to just have this quarterback save them. Good luck, Kyle Wilson. <laughs> and uh, a big part of, obviously, of, you know, the surrounding infrastructure there in Carolina is Christian McCaffrey. We just actually got word he's expected to miss a few weeks. That's Ian Rappaport reporting that. That means Chuba Hubbard, yeah. next man up in Carolina. How excited are you to see what he can do with the opportunity? Chuba Chuba, y'all. I, I, uh, I have this theory that I it, – it's, it's, I think that if you're a really good – university running back um, that is not completely helped by a ridiculous offensive line. Like I think there were a lot of guys, um, you know, that played for Bama that were hyped up because they were playing behind ridiculous O lines. I think that's happened at Michigan a few times to Wisconsin. It's happened before where, you know, a guy puts up huge numbers, say Ron Dane, and then doesn't turn into the guy that you think, because they have this ridiculously good offensive line. I think if you're a good running back on, uh, an average to below average team, which is what we saw uh, in OK State. I mean, I guess they were a little bit better than average. I, I have this theory that you end up being a good pro because if you haven't been beaten up too much, um, you know how to run the rock, even if the holes aren't there. And I think we get fooled by, um, you know, combine numbers and running backs. And that's why you'll see a guy in the seventh round end up being a great starter or a guy in the fourth round be a starter right out of camp because you can do that. So I'm, I'm praying that this theory holds its water because uh, I would love to see Chuba Hubbard just explode here. Would be great. And Trent Richardson is just calling us on line one says there's nothing yeah. <laughs> to your theory whatsoever. Nothing to your theory whatsoever. Okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a great example. That was better than my Ronda. And thank you for picking up the ball and running with it, Scotty. No problem, buddy. That's what we do. Hey, thank you for displacing yourself and joining our show on a different day this week. Have a great day. <laughs> have a great weekend. And we will do this again next week. All right. You too. And everyone listening, have a great weekend. That is Tim McAuliffe. And, He's got so much stuff going on. I will excuse him for saying Kyle Wilson instead of Zach Wilson. I'm sure he knows yes, that as the quarterback indeed. of the New York Jets instead of Kyle Wilson. I did want to comment on Chuba Hubbard at some point. Here, you can tell me what you saw last night. Here's what I saw. I saw a guy who was pretty tentative early in that game. I think he's a guy who's been pretty tentative early in the season behind Christian McCaffrey. As the game developed, he got better. They seemed to call plays that were more suited to his strength and not just, here's what we would do with CMC. We're going to do this with you. He got confidence as that game went on. I really liked what I saw by game's end. If he really wants to take advantage of the situation, he's going to have to rep out the pass-catching part of his game because it doesn't come anywhere near as naturally to him as it does to McCaffrey. But I liked what I saw by the end of that game last night. And I think encouraging on the pass-catching front was that it seems like they'll at least give him the opportunity to do it, right? Like, they're looking – They, you know, he had five targets. 
uh, through the air yesterday, right? So they're going to give him the chance to prove that he can, you know, no one's going to be Christian McCaffrey in that respect, that at least that he can fill that role on the offense a little bit. They're going to give him the chance to show that. And you're right, early in the game, even before McCaffrey was out, you know, he had some touches, had some targets, didn't go particularly well, but he got better as the game went on. And it's pretty clear from what I saw last night that going forward for Carolina, they get a little extended rest here because they played the Thursday nighter, which yep. you know my theory on Thursday night football. Guys don't have enough time to rest. And so, yes, I think that played into what happened to Christian McCaffrey last night with his hamstring, and I'm frustrated by that as an NFL fan and maybe as a fantasy guy as well. But you know my point on Thursday night football. It seemed pretty clear from that game last night. Royce Freeman's going to get some carries. It's not going to be Chuba Hubbard getting the volume that Christian McCaffrey gets in that offense, no. but he probably has the opportunity to be the lead back there over the next few weeks if he takes advantage of this. Yeah, I think he definitely has the opportunity, and he probably, you know, the who knows how long McCaffrey will be out, but the share between Hubbard and Freeman in game one, I think Hubbard has a chance to, you know, to put some some daylight between him and Freeman, right? If he shows well early, they're going to keep upping that that share of carries in Hubbard's direction from Freeman. With some really good examples coming into the question we posed earlier, I want to get into the text message inbox. 960-960-650-650. Who can you see being a Sam Darnold-type equivalent, a guy that stock has been sold on in the National Hockey League? You can see having a big year, and in a couple of months, we're talking about that player in a completely different light. There's also a change that's been announced in the NFL that we will get to. And I want to lay out the numbers game for you because this is going to be a real fun week and a half. That's next on Rinto and Sermon with Jamie Dot. Now back to Rintoul and Sermon. I wonder if people play along at this time every day, try to figure out which playlist I'm going to read about, because that's classic rock right there, Jamie, in case you didn't know. And if you're after more classic rock, you'll find the perfect mix in the Classic Rock Essentials playlist. It's on Apple Music from the 60s and 70s all the way into the 90s. Listen to the Classic Rock Essentials playlist on Apple Music. I'm Scott Rintoul, as I just alluded to. Jamie Dodd alongside. Sammy Niku has a new team. He and the Winnipeg Jets agreed to part ways last week. He's headed to Montreal to see if he can get his career on track there. It's a two-way deal with the Habs as the now former Jets defenseman gets his fresh scenery. Yeah, interesting. A bit of a flyer for Montreal, seeing if they can get anything out of Sammy Nico that didn't really click for him in Winnipeg over the course of his career there. And, and by the way, Scotty, I do play along to to try to guess which Good. playlist you're going to be announcing. You know, I, I always try to try to make sure I know in advance what the read is going to be. Well, I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> I'm happy to hear that. And maybe maybe <laughs> Habs fans are hoping that Sammy Niku fits into what we were talking about earlier. Hey, who's that guy yep. that people have sold stock on that people don't think is going to amount to very much? And maybe he turns into something this year in the National Hockey League or does far better than expected. Maybe Sammy Niku's that guy. I've had some good suggestions coming in. Someone texted in saying, what about Matthew Kachuk in Calgary? His play last year was criticized after his comments about Brady's contract were seen by many as selfish. Maybe, maybe not. Captain, due to poor leadership qualities, is Matthew Kachuk a candidate? I don't think many have sold stock in Matthew Kachuk. I think maybe they reevaluated, but Matthew Kachuk seems very much in the, oh, that guy will have a bounce back year category, as opposed to, mm, I don't think he's going to amount to very much, and I'm out. 
Matthew Kachuk is more in the category of, for example, Quinn Hughes in Vancouver, right? Where, yeah, it didn't go as they wanted last year, but I think most people still look at those players and say the talent is there. We've seen what they can do at their best, at their peak. Yeah, those guys are going to be just fine. We're willing to still bet and invest, however you want to call it, in Matthew Kachuk and Quinn Hughes. So I, I agree. I, th- I think people are expecting a bounce back from him. It's not a question. It's not a case where people are, you know, ah, no, forget Matthew Kachuk. He's not going to do anything. Not at all. And maybe we should broaden the scope to bounce back players. We were looking at more guys that you've you've seemingly determined what they are, and they're never going to either regain a level they were once at, or you just don't think they're going to get to the potential that they exhibited early in their career or as a draft pick. Who's that guy? We had someone say, and this is probably more of the Matthew Kachuk category, though there are more questions because of injury with this player. Someone texted in, what about Vladimir Tarasenko? It'll be interesting to see if he can bounce back and if he does it in St. Louis or with another team. Tarasenko, to me, is closer to Matthew Kachuk in this conversation, but because of injury, we look at it slightly different. And he's also on this list. I don't think all fences have been mended. It feels to me like Tarasenko's a guy that if he performs well early in the season, there'll still be a conversation between teams and St. Louis on the back burner of, okay, now that you see he's healthy and he's performing again, do you want to do this now? Yeah, there absolutely will be. And with Tarasenko, it's interesting because I don't think anybody necessarily expects him to reach the peaks we've seen from Vladimir Tarasenko when he's been healthy and at his absolute best. Even if he is healthy this year, I don't think that's the expectation. But I do think people expect him to be productive and effective. So again, I wouldn't put him quite in that category where people are just entirely out on the player. And you're right. If he gets off to a hot start, yeah, those trade conversations are going to ramp right back up. I did like this one. This one came into the Calgary text message inbox, 960-960. I enjoy it, and it's actually something I've been kind of thinking about uh, myself. How about Eric Goodbranson? What if Eric Goodbranson, again, former number uh, number three overall pick way back in 2010, what if all Eric Goodbranson has needed in his career is to be paired with Daryl Sutter, and finally we are going to get the third overall pick pedigree, Eric Goodbranson. A lot of teams have been trying to get over the last decade plus. I, I don't believe it myself, but I did enjoy that that suggestion came in. That would be incredible. It would it be really incredible. Would. I would feel really good for Eric Gabranson. Yep. I feel great for him because what have we always said about Eric Branson? Really nice guy, but yeah, got yeah. some deficiencies in his game and awesome in the room. And he can play in the NHL. You just don't want him playing that much in the NHL. I would love it for Eric Goodbranson. Like that to me is almost like the Jack Johnson category. Drafted extremely high. We once thought of you extremely well, but we've seen enough years of evidence now that we know what you are. Boy, would that be a hell of a bounce back though. And it fits it kind of does fit the mold of what we're talking about, right? Though because people had a lot of Eric Goodbranson stock when he was drafted, oh, yeah. when even in his early stages of his NHL career. And it took a while, but then pretty much everybody sold all of their Eric Goodbranson stock, right? Like, sold it completely. Fire sale. Everything must go. I got to get rid of this. So, I like it. I mean, it's an extreme example, but yeah, it's he's a, he's a very easy guy to root for. And as I said, maybe, maybe all he needs is, is that Daryl Sutter magic. Multiple teams have sold their Eric Goodbranson oh, yeah. stock. Vancouver. Pittsburgh go down the list when he came to Vancouver Jim Benning doubled down on the stock gave him a contract extension eventually said 
okay, we're moving on here. And he did in the Tanner Pearson deal. And Jim Rutherford, when Erica Branson got to town, had nothing but great things to say about how a different environment was going to help him succeed in his game. I'm not trying to run down the player. I think we know what Erica Branson is right now. I don't think he's going to get back to the pedigree, but I'll tell you, that might be the biggest long shot of it that we've seen all morning. Keep those texts coming in. I I was going to play this clip in what they're saying, but we're going to play it now because somebody has suggested this player. I think it's a really good submission. Patrick Laine. How much stock do you think has been sold in Patrick Laine after what's happened the last couple of years? Man, Scotty, you remember the conversation around Laine after his rookie year, right? It was the hyperbole and and even his second year in the NHL as well. But, you know, when is this guy going to crack 50? This guy, you know, is on track to be kind of the new Alex Ovechkin. He's going to be one of the dominant goal scorers in the NHL. That conversation completely out the window over the last three seasons or so. So, yeah, a lot of stock has been sold in Patrick Laine. They're not sure what they're going to do contract-wise with Patrick Liney. Like we're in a nope. we're in a place with Liney right now where it was so dismal, and you're going to hear that he knows that it was so dismal that people are like, okay, what do you do? Like, how much of a contract do you sign this guy to, or do you sign him to a contract in Columbus? Where's this going, boy? Is it a prove-it year for Patrick Liney with that organization? Here's what he had to say when he was asked yesterday about whether or not he sets goals for himself. I've never been really a numbers guy. Like I don't, I don't set certain goals for for the year. I want to score this many goals or whatever. I just want to, you know, be a better player than I was last year. And uh, you know, it's gonna be, it's gonna be easier this year because I was pretty last year. But um, you know, just try to kind of build off last year, try to be better, and uh, you know, have fun this year. I like the self awareness. I do like the self awareness yep. of, hey. I'm just trying to be better than last year, and that shouldn't be difficult because I was blank. <laughs> well, and Patrick Laine has never really been shy about speaking his mind, right? He's he's had that bluntness, some some swagger, some arrogance at sometimes you could even say, but he lets you know what he's thinking, and that is what you want to hear, I think. Yeah, I was really bad last year. I was not good at all. And he is a – I think he's a prime candidate in this conversation of guys that people are out on who could have a really strong bounce back year and change some minds. And I wonder if you could even put the guy he was traded for in that category as well. Pierre-Luc Dubois in Winnipeg. Someone else brought that up and and asked almost the same question. What about Pierre-Luc Dubois? And then almost answered it for him or herself, whoever texted that and saying, I'm not sure how much stock has been sold. You know, we had Jeff Merrick on yesterday and we were talking about the Winnipeg Jets. You asked him a question and he said, Man, that's going to be a great team. He's called it the best team in Canada, yeah. is what Merrick said yesterday. And he put Pierre-Luc Dubois in the category of, well, we all know he's going to bounce back. There seemed to be a lot of confidence there, and maybe that's akin to a Matthew Kachuk as, as you look at it of, well, that was just an off year. That's not typical for the player, and this is going to get a lot better in a hurry. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't have him in the same category as Matthew Kachuk. I think there's more questions about Pierre-Luc Dubois and where his game is at than there is with somebody like Matthew Kachuk. And with Dubois, it's. I think I have a high level of confidence that he's going to be an effective player. It's how close can he get to the ceiling we thought he had a couple of years ago, right? And the ceiling we expect a number three overall draft pick to have. That's the bigger question. Can he contribute and be an effective, productive player for the Jets? I have very few questions about that, but I do have questions of where the ceiling is at this point with Dubois. 
Patrick Laine is making $7.5 million this year. He's an RFA. Just signed the one-year deal in Columbus, not where people thought he would be as far as the length of contract at this point. He's still, he's still only 23 years old. Doesn't he feel about five years older than that? Oh, yes. <laughs> feels like he's been playing forever. It is wild to think that he's only 23. And again, if you're looking for a player who can have a bounce back, I mean, it's a similar conversation, you know, with the guy we started this with, Sam Darnold, right? Still very young. And it seems like, oh, his career has gone off the rails and he's a bust because that's how we evaluate NFL quarterbacks now, but still really young. Patrick Laine's in that boat as well. I mean, lots of players have breakout offensive seasons at 23, 24, right? One of them we're about to hear from next, Nathan McKinnon. Let's get to what they're saying. Where do you think you could get Patrick Line this year in a hockey pool? Like how deep? Very, very deep, I would expect. Very, very deep. Doesn't that seem like a really smart, quote-unquote, flyer to take? Yep, it sure does. It sure does. Now, the, the the hesitancy I would have is, okay, is there a lot of talent that's going to be able to feed him the puck there in Columbus? That would worry me a little bit, but that also means, you know, there's not a lot of guys competing with opportunities and ice time for him. So, yeah, I think it's a, a very sensible flyer to take. It is. We'll see who he plays with. They did add some talent in the offseason, I don't know what you're going to get of Jakob Voracek at this point of his career, but it'll be interesting to see what becomes of Patrick Laine. Nathan McKinnon, much like Patrick Laine, burst onto the scene early, and then there was a little bit of regression. And at one point, it's easy to forget that at one point people questioned what Nathan McKinnon was going to be. They really did. And I say it all the time, when he signed that contract, which is now one of, if not the best contracts in the NHL right now, it's $6.3 million per year, a lot of people went, ooh, are they overpaying this guy? Are they committing too much for too long? Obviously, that conversation, long gone. Nathan McKinnon was on the 32 Thoughts podcast. They haven't changed the logo, but they're calling it the 32 Thoughts podcast now with Merrick and Elliot Friedman that's been released in the last 24 hours. This stood out to me, Jamie. Nathan McKinnon talking about what he learned from last year's playoff loss to Vegas. You, you have to go more by feelings than thoughts, you know, when you're out there. You're feeling confident. You're feeling aggressive, and that's it. And then yeah. we've been doing this our whole lives. Just let your instincts take over from there. You'll make plays. You'll make the right. You have to just trust yourself that you'll make the right decision with the puck or the right play by just feeling good and, and being confident and being aggressive. I know I've said that word a lot, but I think it's important that we didn't do. I didn't do it at all in games three, four, and five. Mm. Or game more games three and four. Like I was hesitant. I didn't want to make mistakes. Yeah, I remember Joe. I mean, Joe was like, "Just let go." You know, I was trying to be play the perfect game, or you know, not take any risks or anything. And that's not my style either. So it's hard. I mean, you, you know, you don't. It's a lot to figure out in a short amount of time. It's not like you get to the playoffs. It's a short window. You know, you got a lot of learning to do on the fly. So it's challenging. I love the candor here. A guy who has played at the highest of levels, a guy who's multiple times been nominated for the Hart Trophy. We consider him one of the best players on the planet. And he admits during his conversation he froze up a little bit 
It's not his first time in the playoffs. It's not his first time in the second round. And he froze up for three or four games in the middle of that series. And he's learned that I'm just going to have to embrace the uncomfortable nature, realize that feeling moving forward. And I thought some good stuff there saying Joe, as in Joe Sackett, was telling me, you just got to play free out there. Just be aggressive. Just go. Yeah, that's what I picked up on, too. The idea of trusting your instincts, right, and not actually overthinking things. Because we do hear so much, you know, the playoffs are all about puck management. You have to be so careful with the puck. You can't make those turnovers. you got to be, you know, so diligent in all of your little details. That's all true, but it can also, if that's the only thing you're thinking about, it can lead to overthinking it and getting caught up and freezing up a little bit because you're trying to process so much all at once. I think especially for the truly elite great players like Nathan McKinnon, yeah, you got to keep those things in the back of your mind. But what he's saying there, be free, play instinct, trust your instincts, trust what got you to this point, which, as he said, is being aggressive. I think that makes a lot of sense. He didn't say it in these exact words, but what it translates to is playing not to lose instead of playing to win. Like, it's yeah. that fine line in between the two. We're up 2 nothing in this series, and part of the conversation leading up to it was, we got really outplayed in periods two and three of game two, which we won. Remember that controversial call yes. in overtime of game two with the stick getting knocked out of the hands and then Rantanen scores in overtime, and they're up 2 nothing. Everybody felt really good about the Colorado Avalanche. They hadn't lost a playoff game at that point, but he said there was uneasiness with the group, and they knew that they got outplayed, and that started to creep in on their way down to Vegas. They were ever never really able to reel it back. He felt like they kind of got there in game six. There was another part of that interview. It's really good. Check it out on the 32 Thoughts podcast when you have some time over the next few days where he said how happy he is to have Landis Cog back and what he brings to the room. McKinnon used the line in there like, I don't have any desire to be the captain, which we talked about with Artemi Panarin earlier this week, and someone would look at it as a black mark on your resume. McKinnon's like, no, he's a perfect captain. He's our guy. That's not me. And it's a lot easier to share that sentiment when there's already a captain in place and a captain that everyone really likes and respects and thinks works very well, right? It's easier to say that in that context. Like, why would I want to replace Gabe Landeskog? He is awesome as the captain. I want to get this comment in here from the baseball world as well. We'll get back to talking hockey in just a few minutes. But as you know, there are a few other things going on. And as some of our flag-waving Canadian listeners have pointed out over the last few weeks, guys, need a little more Tyler O'Neill talk. The product of the Lower Mainland, getting it done for the St. Louis Cardinals, coming off an NL Player of the Week um, award. He's been great for the St. Louis Cardinals. And if you haven't been paying attention to the team that currently holds down the second wildcard spot in the NL, maybe you haven't been paying enough attention to Tyler O'Neill. Jeff Passan, one of the insiders in all of baseball, he was on yesterday in Toronto, and he was asked just how good has Tyler O'Neill been for the Cardinals this year? Uh, Tyler O'Neill, Jeff, has been the best player on the St. Louis Cardinals this year. Yeah. And, and listen, Nolan Arenado uh, is still elite at third base, still hits a lot of home runs. Paul Goldschmidt, uh, you know, a couple of home runs today and still really good. Uh, O'Neill not only has outproduced both of them on base and slugging, uh, but beyond that, you look at his expected numbers, he's actually had some bad luck this year. Mm-hmm. He hits the ball extraordinarily hard, and he's finally taken th- this set of raw tools that we've seen for years and wondered, you know, when is Tyler O'Neill, this Greek god of a man, going to actually turn into a good baseball player? 
the answer is 2021 at 26 years old. And, uh, man, Mike, you talk about pride of, of Canada right now. I mean, is he the, is he the one who takes the, you know, takes the baton from Joey Votto? It's a fair question to ask, and he'd be the leading contender right now, don't you think? Yes, he absolutely would be the leader in the clubhouse right now. Isn't that the great thing about where we are with so many of our different sports right now, that like Larry Walker came along and you went, boy, this is incredible. Who's going to be the next guy? And then all of a sudden there was Joey Votto and Justin Morneau and all of these prominent players in Major League Baseball that came along, both of those guys winning MVPs. I don't know that Tyler O'Neill is destined for one, but if he plays like he has over this past month well, and the way yeah. he's established himself in the lineup this season, he's going to get there. If he can sustain this, what he's doing right now, yeah, he could be in the running for an MVP, absolutely. Yeah, he's been great, and that's where we're at with sports. As you and I have talked about, it's been a really good summer for Canada. Wanted to get that in. We'll get back to some other baseball stories because this is a really big weekend, and the next nine days, they shape up great. But we'll talk some hockey next. The conversation du jour. Who could be that Sam Darnold player for you in the National Hockey League? You can continue to nominate some at 960-960 or 650-650. We'll dig into some of your suggestions. And how did Jesse Pugliarvi pull that off last year? How did he become the guy that we now look at much differently than the guy who left and many wondered if he'd ever work out in the National Hockey League? We'll ask Mark Spector that and more next right here on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd. You're listening to Rintoul and Sermon. It's breaks like that that make me think I should get the next five minutes off because I have spent time debating and having a conversation. I should just shut my mouth, but Greg and I got into it a little bit there, Jamie, during the course of the break, and it has nothing to do with the show, quite frankly. Wow, Greg, stealing your time. Time theft from Greg Ballack. Those say, breaks are important. I, say we I got up, agreed. I stretched my leg. It's kind of my fault. It's kind of my fault. I'm Scott Rentoul. He is Jamie Dodd. Mark Spector is going to join us in just a couple of minutes. And I'm going to give you what will be an unpopular opinion. The bulk of both text message inboxes will be against me in my opinion here. That's All okay. Right. I'm fine with it. This actually started with a compliment. I suggested a bagel place that is near Mission Control in Vancouver. And Greg got to work early today, so he decided to take my advice. He went there and he got an excellent bagel. He was very happy with it. I asked him which one he got. Jamie, to which he replied, he got a sesame bagel today. And I said, great order. Like, full marks from me yep. in ordering a sesame seed bagel. That's a great order right there. That is my number one go-to bagel order. So, so far, we're all on the same page. Love a good sesame seed bagel. Yes, they are. And yet, I decided to go off the board a little bit here. So, it's my fault, not Greg's, even though the topic was sort of introduced by both of us. And I said... What's the most overrated bagel? Now, I'm not going to tell you what Greg said, but you tell me, Jamie, what's the most overrated bagel? Well, I would say anything that has, like, raisin in it or anything. Like, when you're going to that, when you're getting out of the pure savory category, that's when it gets to me. I, I, I'm out. I'm out on those. The exact same thing. And he said, like, cinnamon, raisin, no, and yeah. what, to which I replied, it's almost a dessert bagel. Like, if you yeah. get cinnamon raisin, you're looking for something a little different. You're looking for a dessert, not really a bagel. We're into a completely different category. So I don't disagree with you completely. But the most overrated bagel to me, and this is where people are going to get after me, the everything bagel is the most yes. overrated bagel on the shelf, should not be purchased, and yet it's one of the more popular bagels. No, you know what, Scotty? Honestly, I agree with you. I'm going to keep it simple. Like sesame seed, poppy seed, 
What else do you need? That's it. That's You're good to go there. I, I honestly completely agree. I am not a fan of the everything bagel. So you have at least one supporter here. I'm glad to hear it because the everything bagel is overrated because the onion taste of the everything bagel dominates everything else, rendering the rest of it absolutely yeah. useless on the everything bagel. If you want an onion bagel, get an onion bagel. We don't need to add the extra ingredients here. And be, oh, it's the everything bagel. It's got sesame seeds. It's got poppy seeds. It's got I cheese. What? No. Stick with just the onion bagel. It's completely overrated. Yeah, no, exactly. It's it's just an onion bagel, and then there's some other stuff on there. I don't know. I, I think it's just it's the psychological effect of, oh wow, why why choose when I could have everything all at once? Well, it's not actually a better product though. Just stick stick with the classics: poppy seed, sesame seed. Go for it. That's all you need. It's an onion bagel with extra fiber. It's all. It's what I told Scotty. It's just extra fiber for the person with eating extra it. fiber. Yeah. And wow. if you're going to make the health choice, what I told Greg is, if that's what you're there for, you're like, okay, I want a bagel, but I want a little bit more healthy, maybe a little fiber. Go with your multi-grain bagel that has the odd sesame seed thrown into it and some flax. Like, if that's what you're going to do, go down that road, but don't. Don't try to sell me on the Everything Bagel. There are a lot of people supporting the Everything Bagel. I'm not surprised by this. You can text us your opinion at 650-650 or 960-960. And this is where my opinion, though it's popular with you, Jamie, gets even more unpopular with our listeners. I called it the all-dressed chip of bagels, which I also believe is completely overrated and should not be purchased. All-dressed, I have no problem with. I have no problem with an all-dressed chip. So, I, I look, obviously, I get why you would make the comparison, but I don't think all-dressed deserves to be dragged in to the slander here. I like this. Te- the first text that came in into the Calgary inbox is, you sick puppies were trashing carrot cake a few weeks ago, and now everything bagels? Unbelievable. So, there we go. There's one very outraged texter. I told you that this would be unpopular, and I know my take on all-dressed chips is unpopular. It's for people who can't make decisions, much like the everything. But what do you want? I, I don't know. Just put everything on there. That's what an all-dressed chip yeah. is. Get a flavor. At least the, Get uh, with at a least flavor, the man. the all-dressed chip tastes good, though. At least the all-dressed chip tastes good. Wrong. So overrated. No, no, so no. overrated. It's not my least favorite chip. Which is a very unpopular opinion. I can get to that another day, oh, but we man. have Mark Spector on the line. This is exciting. <laughs> oh, yeah. Mark Spector, Sportsnet, Sportsnet.ca, joining us here today. And we brought you on, of course, to talk about overrated bagels. I say that, that the everything bagel is completely overrated. Jamie happens to agree with me. What do you say, Mark Spector? <laughs> Dude, we just spent a whole summer talking about chips and bagels and movies and series and we finally got some hockey and you're still talking about bagels i mean come on you guys let's go well we needed a slight deviation because that's what we've been talking about most of the day although i'm sure at this point of the week you're probably more keen to talk bagels than you are to talk josh archibald (laughs) yeah yeah it's a the gift that keeps on giving here we have not seen him actually on the ice he's not skating with the team uh, whether that's because he's the team is saying he's came off a of quarantine, he's not in shape to skate with the team, or maybe they're just trying to keep him away from the team. I don't know the answer to that, but uh, when he does show himself uh, around the team, we will be requesting him uh, for the podium. Uh, toot sweet, my friend. 
It'll be interesting to see what he has to say. And that ground's been covered over the last 48 hours, so I don't want to focus on Josh Archibald for this interview, which I'm sure is of great relief to you. I do want to talk about Yessi Pugliarvi. We watched Sam Darnold last night on Thursday Night Football Spec, and we started to have this conversation today. Okay, who could be Sam Darnold in the NHL this year? A guy who might fit that category where you once thought very highly of him, then most people sold their stock only to say, maybe we shouldn't have sold that. This guy looks pretty good. <laughs> Yessi Pogliarvi was that guy last year for the Edmonton Oilers. How did he do that? How was he a different player last year than the guy you saw three or four years ago? Yeah, it's funny. That's a that's a pretty cool uh, analogy because I would certainly have some money on if I was betting on players on that player this season for sure. Uh, you know, it's funny. Like I think we all get caught, y'all. Uh, you know, let's talk about Jake for and He was the number four overall. Um, you know, we we get caught with they draft a player up high, and he's got to be good, and he's got to be good right away. And you know, for various reasons. Uh, culture, language, uh, coming over from Europe too early, the Oilers absolutely failing the player developmentally. This player wasn't ready early, right? He just wasn't. He was not ready. And they forced him out in the ice anyway, and he skated around, and we all looked at him and said, man, this guy's maybe not as good as we thought. And you know what? He's ready now. He's How old is he? Is he 22? Uh, he goes away to Finland for a year, and he kind of grows up a little, and he comes back, and now all of a sudden he's using that six foot four frame to protect a puck. He he's he's not doing big wide European circles. He's actually stopping and starting, and he's it just took him a little longer to learn the game. And you know, all of a sudden you got a guy that I'm not saying he's Miko Rantanen yet, because he's not. But he's six four, skates really, really well. He's got a cannon for a shot, and he's playing next to McDavid here at camp. So he's a good player, and he looks like he's going to be a much better player as time goes on. And I guess he just took longer than all us experts expected that he would, huh? Yeah, it's a great reminder, Speck, as you say, that you know sometimes players just take a little bit longer to develop. Now that he's had that that first breakthrough season and really, as you said, adapted to the North American game and shown what he's able to do, what are the expectations for Jesse Pugliarvi in Edmonton this season to follow up on that breakout campaign? Oh, yeah. This is like I, I would absolutely expect him to be a much better player than last year from game one. You know, he came in here last year and it was the great unknown. And as the season went on, we were starting to say, hey, you know what? He's doing some things right and he's playing the game and his centerman can count on him because he knows where he's going to be. And slowly and surely he... You know, he scored some goals. He was a pretty useful player, and he wasn't a liability. So that all starts at game one this year, right? And he's starting on McDavid's line this year. So from game one, this guy, he he's a useful player. He's a smart, much smarter player. And you got Connor McDavid playing with a pair of power forwards in, uh, in Pugliarvi and Hyman. And uh, I think... You know, you want to take a young player with a ton of potential still and put him in a place to succeed. Uh, how about a line with Connor McDavid and Zach Hyman? That's probably not a bad spot to be, huh? Yeah, I think a few players have had pretty good years playing next to Connor McDavid since he's been in Edmonton. Not a bad place to be at all. Is there another young player on the roster or in training camp for Edmonton this year that you look at and say, not that he's necessarily gone through the kind of ups and downs that Pujarvi had gone through going into last season, but a younger player that you look at and say he can have a real breakout season for the Oilers coming up? 
You know, the guy here is Evan Bouchard on the fence. That is, you just define the player, and, and that's his name in Edmonton. Um, you know, this is a franchise. I don't need to tell folks as much about this. They've, they've rushed their prospects for years and years and years, right? The, they always drafted high because the team wasn't very good. The Taylor Hall showed up, and he was the best player in the team at 18, so he played right away. And all of those things were just, you know, they never developed properly because it was a dysfunctional organization. So that's changed now. Uh, Evan Bouchard's had a, you know, a year and a half in the minors. He was a half a year in Europe as well. Uh, he spent pretty much the whole season last year, the, the short season in Edmonton, only played about 14 games, but practiced with the team and learned what they're doing. And, and he's now, you know, he's been properly brought along, right? He's got his American league time. He's, matured into a man physically he's not a skinny 19 year old anymore uh he will play in their top six this year he'll certainly get the opportunity and uh they're hoping that he starts on the third pairing and moves up to the second at some point so if you're a hockey pool guy and you're looking for maybe uh one of those names that's going to fly into the radar the name here in edmonton is evan bouchard mark specter sportsnet and sportsnet.ca joining us here on rental and sermon with jamie dodd not many questions about where the offense is going to come from from the Edmonton Oilers. A few about how they are defensively, more about the goaltending situation, as you well know. Do you believe that's a situation that gets addressed via trade at some point over the next three to four months? Yeah, I, I still think that they won't go in the playoffs with Mike Smith, Mika Koskinen, uh, Miko Koskinen as their tandem. Here's the deal. The Smith signed a two-year deal. Smith can be my my 35, 40 game guy any day. Like I get it. He's 39. There are some players who play that old. He's one of them. Okay. He was like the fifth or sixth best goalie in the league last year, statistically. So he's fine. I don't mind Mike Smith on my team, but he can't be my best guy. So the issue here is, you know, Ken Holland's been in the goaltending market for two years, but any goaltending move he makes, he's got to try to move Mikko Koskinen who makes 4.5 million bucks and is frankly he's just a, a decent nhl backup he's an okay backup so really what the orders kind of have is a is a quasi starter in smith and an okay backup in miko koskinen and if both guys stay healthy you know what i know that it, it doesn't look good and we you know you look at that tandem you'll come on but that tandem had the sixth or seventh thing was seventh best save percentage of a you know, team save percentage of the league last year so if you told me they were both getting 82 games, I'd say, ah, you know what, you can squeeze a year out of them. But frankly, if Mike Smith gets hurt, uh, this team is hooped. So, yeah, I think that Ken, I know Ken Holland is always in the goaltending market. And I think that by the trade deadline, when there's barely anything left on the last year of Koskinen's contract, he would be able at the deadline to make a deal that moved out Koskinen and brought in a guy that's better. Uh, so you would have Smith and you know maybe a guy that's better than Smith is ideally what you would like. We all know what the expectation is in Edmonton this year. It's basically Toronto Maple Leafs of the West. You better be yeah. in the playoffs, and you yeah. better do something when you get there. The other two yep. teams in Western Canada, they have the same expectation of getting to the playoffs, but it's not as much a certainty as people would place on the Edmonton Oilers. When you look at Calgary and Vancouver, one team that made a lot of change, another team not so much. Which team do you believe is best positioned to make a run at a playoff spot this year and be in? I like I like the Canucks ahead of the uh, ahead of the Flames at this point. Um, I just I like the Canucks roster. I like their players. I like that they have some dynamic players that 
make me want to watch him play. You know, I think Bo Horvat is a better centerman than anybody in Calgary. Uh, Quinn Hughes is a better defenseman than anyone in Calgary. Calgary doesn't have an Elias Pettersson. Um, you know, Calgary's in a strange spot. You guys, they they have a GM who's who's you know hanging on tight here, and a brand new head coach in Daryl Sutter, and the GM's basically building Sutter's team for him. Right? He's he's bringing in Brad Richardson. He's bringing in Trevor Lewis. He's bringing in Eric Goodbranson. You know, that's going to be a hard team to play against, and they're going to win some regular season games. But I don't I don't really get how they're. I'm not sure how they're going to get the puck off of a young, fast team. I think Vancouver's a better team. I would put my money on Vancouver in the short term, and absolutely I would rather have the Vancouver Canucks roster in the long term. Well, and with Calgary, as you detailed there, Mark, you know, the, the biggest question is just we all expect them to go out and add an impact offensive player in the offseason in some way. They didn't get a chance to do so. Now, as Brad Trey Living says, look, you don't make a move just for the sake of making a move. That's fair enough. But yeah. as you said, they're, they're building the Daryl Stutter style team. And I just have the question, are they going to be able to put the puck in the net with anywhere near enough regularity to, to be a successful team? Well, I don't think so, frankly. And you know what? I, I feel a little bit for Bradtree living because, you know, players have more value in the city they're in often. Um, it's like Vertanen. Let's use him as a Vancouver example, right? The Vancouver fans expected that, you know, for all those years, it was like if you trade Vertanen, you better get a hell of a player back for him. Well, that was never going to happen. And in Calgary, you know, listen, Johnny Goodrell has been available and he's been on the market for like three years. Tree Living's been trying to move that player for the longest time, but he can't find a deal that people in Calgary are going to look at and, and not think he got fleeced. But frankly, that's the market on Johnny Goodrow. It's not what Calgarians think it is, right? It's just not. So he's, he, rather than make a deal, what, what did you say, just for the sake of making the deal, yeah. he's hung on to, these, to his core players and it hasn't worked. You know, Monaghan is a, is a decent second-line center in this league. He's not a first-line center. And Johnny Goodrow is a nice complementary player, but you, we, I think we've watched how far that duo has led the Flames over the last few years, not very far. So it's hard for Trey Levine. It's hard to make change He's got because the, the trades he's going to make to turn that thing over might cost him his job, guys. <laughs> but those trades need to get made. They, they need to affect change in Calgary. And as good a player as Blake Coleman is, you know, the facts are on a Stanley cup caliber team like Tampa, he's a third line player. So can you put him on the second line in Calgary? Okay. Put him on the second line, but uh, does, you know, Blake Coleman is a really nice complimentary piece, but he's not enough to affect change in Calgary, in my opinion. And, you know, it's interesting that you bring up Johnny Goudreau, who, as you say, has been available and the deal has never been made. And he, he's still an effective player, as you said, more of a complimentary piece. The interesting thing with Goudreau is he's going to the final year of his deal. He's going to be a UFA after this year. It's an interesting dilemma because they haven't been able to trade him. But as you said, there's also that desire for change. Do you think we could end up seeing, though, after all of this and after all the talk of a potential trade, that Johnny Gaudreau signs an extension in Calgary? No. Nope. I don't see it. Um, I don't see it. I don't see Johnny Gaudreau signing an extension in Calgary. I could be wrong. Uh, if I'm a UFA and I'm looking at that Calgary team, I don't see uh, – and, you know, this isn't just a guy from Edmonton talking. Like, I, I'm not that guy. Uh, but I don't see in Calgary a team that's going to win anything anytime soon. If I'm Johnny Goodrell, I want to. I've been in Calgary. I've served my contracts out there. I want to win, 
and and the the right of you know being an unrestricted free agent gives you a chance to go somewhere and take a run at a Stanley Cup, and I, I personally I do not see that in Calgary. So um, will he sign long term there? I mean, I'll tell you where he's not going. He's not going to Philly. He might be able to go to Jersey. I know he, he comes from that corridor, guys, and it's always dogged his whole career that Johnny Goodrow wants to get back to those places. I don't necessarily buy that. Okay, I don't necessarily buy that. I just think Johnny Goodrow wants to go somewhere where he can win. And uh, I don't know if Calgary fits that bill, gentlemen. Now that we've got the hockey out of the way, do you have a favorite bagel? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, generally order the uh, cinnamon raisin toasted uh, butter when I cut through uh, Tim Hortons. Uh, if I'm at uh, Schwartz's in uh, Montreal, uh, I would definitely just go for the plain, maybe poppy seeds, yeah. There you go. Okay, poppy seeds. I, there's going to be some controversial takes on the cinnamon raisin selection, though. I can tell you that right now. I've seen the inbox already. Thanks, Beck. All right, boys. Anytime. Call anytime. We will. Thank you. Enjoy camp. That is Mark Spector from Edmonton. Went with the cinnamon raisin bagel. I know that is yep. going to be a controversial take. And we we started that conversation with him outside of our bagel talk, of course, about Yessi Pugliarvi and the guy that came back and how he's viewed much differently now than he was a couple of years ago when people were basically out on him. Boy, he's a bust of a pick. He's never going to work out. And now he looks like something that could be there for quite some time. It can really help that hockey team out. Jamie, I know one of the submissions that came in is under the radar, and it will not be a popular suggestion today based on what happened yesterday in <laughs> Abbotsford. But this suggestion came in, and it's an interesting one to discuss. Yeah, we actually had from the Calgary inbox, which I was a little bit surprised, but nominated in this kind of bounce back, okay, you're lower on them than you used to be conversation, Ole Ulevi in Vancouver. And it's a really interesting nomination because you just look at the shape of his career, it really fits the mold of what we're talking about, right? From being the fifth overall pick and having all the expectations that come with that to being plagued by injuries, taking a long time just to make it to the NHL. And of course, we all know who was picked just after him in that draft and what he's done so far in his career. So yeah, to, to say that Ole Levy's stock is low at the moment and has been low for a long time is an understatement. But it does fit that mold of, okay, people have kind of written him off to a certain extent. This is really, a lot of people think it might be his last kick at the can to lock down an NHL job. If he has any sort of success, any sort of sustained NHL success, really at this point that's this season, that, that fits in exactly with what we're talking about. Yeah, it fits part of the description, and there isn't a lot of evidence right now to think, okay, this is going to come through. No. You wish the best for any player trying to get the maximum out of, of talent and potential that he has? No evidence right now. And the, the thing that Pugliarvi got last year in Edmonton, and he had to, the thing people forget is he had to earn his way into this opportunity. He got to play with McDavid, but he didn't just get handed a shotgun seat with him. He had to show Dave Tippett something. He had to show the Oilers something. And with where Ole Ulevi plays on the left side, is there that guy in Vancouver? Not so much. Like, there's not this right-side defense where you go, look, if he played well and we put him beside this particular D-man, this is going to go really well for him. I mean, Connor McDavid is this in this completely different category than most, but Quinn Hughes plays on the same side of the ice, for example. If Ole Ulevi had a Quinn Hughes on the other side and somehow worked his way into to that type of job description, now you go... Okay, yeah, like if you play along that, that side, that yeah. guy, things might go well for you. 
And the problem is with Ole Levy is so many of the other guys we're talking about, there's something obvious that's changed from one situation to the next, right? Whether it's changing teams, changing coaches, you know, even Jesse Pugliarvi, last year was the first year he got to play with Dave Tippett in Edmonton. As you mentioned, he also got to play with Connor McDavid. There's some sort of big, obvious change. You know, we were talking with Sean about Sean Monaghan in this category earlier, okay? He got to play with Daryl Sutter last season, but this is his first full year with Daryl Sutter. Maybe he's able to, you know, have a bounce back because of the coaching change, because he's healthy. Usually in this discussion, something has to change for the player to have that real bounce back or breakthrough year, and it's just hard to see what has changed or what could change with change with Ole Levy. Now, I'm not surprised when I look at the text message inbox, 650-650 and 969-60, to see a lot of people coming in support of the everything bagel. People saying it's elite. I see this one says the everything bagel is elite. It's all dressed. Oh, and it went on to say, because you heard my take on all dressed chips as well, all dressed, yes. all world, says somebody else. <laughs> but I'm actually pleasantly surprised to see how many people have said, no, you're 100% correct. The everything bagel is the most overrated. Somebody suggested this, and I'm not going to go as far as this texter does, but I do think it might be the most underrated bagel. This person says, I agree with you, Scott, as long as we agree that jalapeno cheese bagels are the GOAT. Now, I would not have it in my top rank, but I think jalapeno cheese might be one of the most underrated bagels out there. It's delicious, for sure. I love just a, a standard cheese bagel as well. I enjoy that. But yeah, jalapeno cheese, I could go for that. I would certainly go for that over the cinnamon raisin. And I know we just had Mark Spector, and he voted cinnamon raisin. It's getting tons and tons of support in the inbox as well. Extremely overrated to me. Someone texts in, sesame bagel, king of bagels. Yeah, correct. 100% Absolutely. correct. 100% correct. 100% correct. Keep those texts coming in, whether they're on hockey, whether they're on bagels. We'll get to them throughout the course of the show. I promised I'd lay out the numbers for you, and I'll do it next right here on Rintoul and Sermon with Jamie Dodd.